welcome to the C3 Camden podcast. For more information about our church, please visit www.c3camden.church. We are so thrilled that you're listening today and we hope you enjoy the message. But I thought we might do uh, something to mix it up a bit differently today, being Father's Day. And, and uh, so we thought we might have story time with Rowan while we eat pizza. How does that sound? Story time with Rowan. I feel like I'm uh, in school. So dig into your pizza. I won't be offended that you're eating it in front of me or anything like that. We need some story time music. What does story time music sound like? Play like play school story time music. No, that one. There's a bear in there. <laughs> you need the primary teachers, Jake, not the high school teachers, the primary teacher music teachers to do story time. Well, I thought what we might do today while we're, while we're having our pizza, um, mix it up a little bit. Uh, I, I mentioned, I think I mentioned last week that we were doing a, a series called Encounters with Jesus over the next little while where we're just going to look at uh, encounters with Jesus. And I think, Brian, you're preaching next week. Brian's uh, got an encounter with Jesus to share with us next week. And I had intended to do one today, but I changed my mind. And uh, so we're not going to do an encounter with Jesus. I felt that we'd do, we'd reach back into the Old Testament and we'd share a bit, of a, uh, a bit of a devotion around a beautiful story in the Old Testament that I think uh, actually has some value for us, um, especially on a day like today, on Father's Day. We, as Jules so eloquently said, we understand that Father's Day is a beautiful day for some and it's a challenging day for others for all kinds of different reasons. And um, so we don't want to diminish the value of it, but we also want to acknowledge that so what I thought I'd do, rather than just do a, a Father's Day message for fathers, I thought we would, we would look at this story in the Old Testament and uh, we would see, I believe we see in this, we capture something of the Father's heart for us and for His people and also how we can be that to one another as well. And so the, the title of my message today is a Hebrew word called Chayil. Chayil. Turn to the person next to you and try not to spit pizza on them while you say Chayil. Chayil. Um, that is, uh, you got to say, you got to like, you got to sound like your cat's about to cough up a furball before you say the word correctly. Chayil. And uh, this word means uh, it's translated as numbers of different things. We're going to see, uh, and this word appears in this story, in this Old Testament story, a number of times, um, ref- referencing a couple of the key characters. And so, what we're going to do is we're going to work our way through while we enjoy our pizza. We're going to look our, work our way through the Book of Ruth. The, the little book of Ruth, four chapters. Has anyone ever read the book of Ruth before? Beautiful little story. Um, it's, it's actually easier just to read it than to try and paraphrase it because the story is so eloquently put together. But I believe it has a great message of the Father's heart for us. And I believe wherever you might find yourself today in life, you might find yourself being a bit discouraged by life, a bit confused about the direction your life is going. It may seem like you thought it was going one way and then it's fallen over and it's going a different way. What the book of Ruth does is it shows us that even with us ordinary people, that God's still working his plan. And we see his hand working in and through this story to bring about his plan and to, to care for, the fathers care for his children. And so we're just going to read this story through. Uh, it'll be up on the screen as we go. And I'll just commentate, commentate a few things as we go. It's important that there's a few things that um, we need to 
take ourselves or, or switch off our 21st century mindset and go back to a, you know, a 3,000 year old mindset from the, about 1200 BC because some of the cultural things that appear in this story won't seem to make sense if we don't uh, remove our 21st century mindset. So we'll do that along the way. But let's have a look at this story. It says, In the days when the judges ruled in Israel, a severe famine came upon the land. So that gives us context about when this story is taking place. It's a specific time in history, in the days when the judges ruled. If you've ever read the book of Judges, which actually just precedes this story, uh, immediately before this story, you'll see that it was a pretty messed up, screwed up time in Israel's history. They, they had come out of the promised land. They come, they come out of Egypt through the Exodus, through the Red Sea. They'd got the law and they said, yeah, we're going to worship God. And they said to Joshua, you know, yes, we'll worship God. We'll live for him. And before too long, we end up in this period called the Judges where they lost their way. They'd forgotten about the God they worshipped. They lost touch with who he was and his values and the things that mattered to him. And uh, you read things like the story of Samson. I often say it's amazing to me how any Sunday school teacher has ever been able to take the story of Samson and make it into a Sunday school story. Because I want to tell you, that guy was a jerk. He wasn't some superhero. He was an idiot. <laughs> he really was a crazy guy who, who missed the point in so many ways and had all this moral uh, decay in his world. And it was a time when it says repeatedly in the book of Judges, it says, in those days, Israel had no king and everybody did what was right in their own eyes. It was a picture of much what we see in our society today, which is I'm going to do what's right for me at the expense of others. Very similar world that we live in today. And that's what it was like. It was a, a time when there was instability. Everyone was looking out for themselves. No one was caring about anybody else. They were just after what would work for me, make me comfortable, make me rich, make me successful. In the days when the judges ruled in Israel, there was a severe famine upon the land. And so a man from Bethlehem in Judah left his home and went to live in the country of Moab, taking his wife and two sons with him. The man's name was Elimelech and his wife's name was Naomi. Their two sons, hello, Naomi, just to call you out. You're seeing you there. I couldn't resist that. Just came to me in that moment. Uh, the, the man's name was Elimelech. He's, have we got Elimelech in the house? No, that's just the Naomi. The two sons were Marlon and Kilion. I don't think we've got any of those. We've got any Ruths in the house because she's going to come and do it. Uh, they were Ephrathites from Bethlehem in the land of Judah. And when they reached Moab, they settled there. Bethlehem, we know as the birthplace of Jesus. Bethlehem, we know as the birthplace of King David. But this is prior to that prior to King David. Bethlehem's just a backwater town. It's nothing of any, any magnificence in Israel. It's just an ordinary place with ordinary people. What I love about this story is it's just ordinary people. These aren't priests. These aren't prophets. These aren't kings. It's just a story about ordinary people that God is working with. And they leave Bethlehem and they go across the other side because there's a drought in Israel and they cross the Dead Sea and head east and they come to the land of Moab where supposedly they would be able to make ends meet. And uh, when they reached Moab, they settled there for a time. Moab was, uh, is, is in modern-day Jordan. They, they were the arch enemies, one of the arch enemies of the Israelites. In fact, when Israel had come out of Egypt and were taking the Promised Land, the Moabites fought against them uh, so much that there was so much dis hatred and disdain between the two that uh, it was said that no Moabite could become a Jew for 10 generations. That's how angry they were with the Moabites. There was no love lost between these two people. Things were so desperate in Israel that uh, Elimelech and his family 
moved over and settled in this land of Moab, in this foreign territory among this seemingly enemy people. And that's important to understand that context because what we're going to see is Ruth the Moabite is not like what they would expect. Sadly though, verse 3, then Elimelech, when they were there, Elimelech died and Naomi was left with her two sons. The two sons married Moabite women. One married a woman named Orpah and another a woman named Ruth. But about 10 years later, both Marlon and Kilion died. And that left Naomi alone with her, without her two sons or her husband. This is a, a sad story. She's in a she's in a difficult place. Her life has taken a turn that she would never have expected. She's lost her she's away from her homeland. She's lost her husband. She's lost her sons. She's in a sad state of affairs. And some of you may be able to identify with some of those feelings that she would have at that time. And while she's there, verse six, Naomi heard that in Moab, that the Lord had again blessed the people of Judah by giving them good crops again. And so Naomi and her daughter-in-laws got ready to leave Moab and return west back to the homeland. Their homeland. With her two daughters-in-law, she set out from the place where she'd been, give, giving, she'd been living and they took the road that would lead them back to Judah. But on the way, Naomi said to her daughter-in-laws, daughters-in-law, go back to your mother's homes. May the Lord reward you for the kindness to your husbands and to me. May the Lord bless you with the security of another marriage. Then she kissed them goodbye and they all broke down and wept. And no, they said, we want to go with you to your people. But Naomi replied, why should you go with me? Can I still give birth to other sons who could grow up to be your husbands? No, my daughters, return to your parents' homes for I am too old to marry. And even if it were possible and I were to get married tonight and bear sons, then what? Would you wait for them to grow up and refuse to marry someone else? Of course not, my daughters. Things are more bitter for you, for me than for you, because the Lord has raised his fist against me. This is how Naomi is processing. I love the fact that Naomi's given space to process the hardship of her life. She's not, oh, get over that, get over it, don't don't speak that, don't confess that. That's a lack of faith. I love the fact that the rawness of scripture allows us to express our hardship. She felt like God had uh, betrayed her or let her down. Verse 14, again, they wept and, uh, together and Orpah kissed her mother-in-law and said goodbye. But Ruth clung tightly to Naomi. Look, Naomi said to her, your sister-in-law has gone back to her people and to her gods. You should do the same. I want to give you a bit of context um, to this story because some things might make sense. You start to hear saying things about uh, Naomi having future sons and maybe they could marry them. What we need to understand is that, is that uh, in this culture, the importance of a, a woman being able to marry into a home where there was a person who could make income, a man who could make income and provide was very important. It might seem antiquated and it might seem like it doesn't fit with 21st century values, but in its time, it wasn't too conservative. In fact, it was a very progressive perspective because women and children uh, were often just treated as property. And in most of the ancient Near East cultures, men could do what they want without with with women you see that in the book of esther when the king just says issues a decree men can do whatever they want with their women it's a messed up society but not so in god's plan god's plan was that in safety in in um in marriage they would find safety and security and provision and of course that was messed up and that never always worked in that society because men can be idiots have anyone noticed that men can be idiots men can be yeah there's a few few know that you're right so i understand that that can be incredibly painful and what we're seeing here is an ancient form of trying to fix that up. And, and, and in fact, the reason we have values today that, that uh, allow women freedom and, 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 and opportunities 
to be able to not have to be underneath men and, ha- and have access to just and fair treatment. And not, we're far from perfect yet. But the reason we have that is because of values that God has placed, that Jesus places, which the value and dignity of all people, male, women, children, wherever you fit, that God has a, a value and a dignity upon you. And I just wanted to say that because this story can seem archaic if we don't understand that in its context, it's actually quite the opposite of that. So we're going to go on with verse 16. Naomi's trying to tell Ruth to go home. And these, these verses that are quite often read in a, in a wedding ceremony, I've done numbers of weddings where these verses have been read as part of that, but it's ultimately between Ruth and her mother-in-law. Ruth replied, don't ask me to leave you or turn back. Wherever you go, I will go. Wherever you live, I will live. Your people will be my people. Your God will be my God. Wherever you die, I will die. And there I will be buried. May the Lord punish me severely if anything but death separate us. This is actually Ruth being radically devoted to her mother-in-law. You see, she was giving up the opportunity as a young widow to remarry and have, have a man provide for her and find security and safety in her home. And she's going, no, I want to stick by you because you're an older widow. You don't have sons who can provide for you. You don't have a husband who can provide for you. You don't have any security. So there's no Centrelink in this day. There's no opportunity for a, a, a person without an ability to earn income to have any money. Uh, Ruth, uh, Naomi would have been completely on her own. And Ruth says, I'm going to give up what I want. I'm going to give up my opportunity for happiness. And I'm going to lay that down so I can do whatever I can to help provide for you, my mother-in-law. You see this, this radical, deep conviction on her, that deep concern for others. Bear that in mind because that's this kail behaviour we're going to talk about, this nobility that we see in this story, this willingness to give up what I want, a nobility of character um, and integrity, a desire to be of value to others. Verse 18, when Naomi saw that Ruth was determined to go with her, she said nothing more. So the two of them continued on their journey. When they came to Bethlehem, the entire town was excited by their arrival. Is it really Naomi? The women asked. Don't call me Naomi, she said. Instead, call me Mara. Not the Mara up the back. We do have him, not that Mara, okay? Because this Mara means bitter, but you, you're, you're, the, you're the furthest person from a bitter person I've ever met, Mara. So instead, call me Mara, for the Almighty has made life very bitter for me. I went away full, but the Lord has brought me back empty. Why call me Naomi when the Lord has caused me to suffer and the Almighty has sent such tragedy upon me? You've got to imagine the pain that this woman is feeling, the uncertainty. So Naomi returned from Moab, accompanied by her daughter-in-law Ruth, the young Moabite women. And they arrived in Bethlehem in late spring at the beginning of the harvest. Chapter 2. Now, there was a wealthy and influential man in Bethlehem named Boaz, who was a relative of Naomi's husband, Elimelech. Two words that describe him, wealthy and influential. I actually don't like the translation influential. I think my other versions say noble or, or virtuous, and that's a better explanation of it. These two words in Hebrew, the word for wealthy is actually the word gibor, and that means um, to have status or strength or wealth. That tells us something about Boaz. In, even though it was a small town, it wasn't a, a town of renown in Israel, it was still a town. And in this town, this man had a strength and he had a, a nobility. He had a, a, a status about him. He was a landowner. He had people who worked for him. He had influence, if you like. So he, he had gibor, if you like. But he also had this kail. The definition of kail is excellent character with integrity, courage, law-abiding in heart and deed is to have moral nobility. So this is a noble man. 
It's a man of absolute integrity, a man who wants to do the right thing. That's the picture we get of this man, Boaz. Verse 2, One day, Ruth the Moabite said to Naomi, Let me go out into the harvest fields to pick up stalks of grain behind anyone who is kind enough to let me do it. This is, this is Ruth putting herself out there to provide for her mother-in-law, saying, let me go out and get some grain and bring it back so we have something to eat. Let me go and work so I can provide for you, my mother-in-law, Naomi. And the beautiful thing about the law in Israel was that there was an opportunity for them to do this. The law, there was a law in the law, the law of Moses called the law of gleaning. And what that meant, what it said was when you're harvesting a field and you're going through and you're picking out the stalks of grain, don't go back over and pick up all the ones you've dropped. Don't go back and sweep over everything and pull out everything and keep it all for yourself. It says once it's dropped, you've got to consider it done. You've got to consider it, leave it there for the poor, the widow, the foreigner and the orphan. Leave it there for people who don't have an ability to provide for themselves. So God had put this into the law, this, this attitude of generosity. He also says, when you're beating your trees of the olives, don't keep beating them, just beat them once. Whatever's left, it's there for the poor, the widow, the foreigner and the orphan. The law of gleaning. In fact, we get our term poor patch from this very law. If someone's going through a poor patch, it actually meant a patch of land. They weren't actually able to, they weren't supposed to harvest all the way to the edges of the field. They were supposed to leave a poor patch, a patch of land where people who were poor could come and be fed. This is deeply ingrained into God's heart for you and I is His desire to care for every person. He's radically dedicated to equity and equality. He is against everything that we do as humans, which is abuse other people at our control or mistreat other people so we can be better. That's not the heart of God at all. And so Naomi says, I'm going to go out and I'm going to, Ruth says, I'm going to go out and I'm going to glean in the field. And Naomi replied, all right, my daughter, go ahead. So Ruth went out to gather grain behind the harvesters. And as it happened, as it happened, usually is, is code word in the Bible for divine coincidence, divine planning. As it happened, she found herself working in the field that belonged to Boaz, the relative of her father-in-law, Elimelech. While she was there, Boaz arrived from Bethlehem and greeted the harvesters. The Lord be with you, he said, and the Lord bless you, the harvesters replied. Then Boaz asked his men, who is this young woman over there and who does she belong to? And the foreman replied, she is the young woman from Moab who came back with Naomi. She asked me this morning if she could gather grain behind the harvesters and she's been hard at work ever since, except for a few minutes rest in the shelter. Boaz went over to Ruth and said, listen, my daughter, stay right here with us and gather grain. Don't go to any other fields. Stay right behind my young women working in the field. See which part of the field they are harvesting and follow them. I have warned the young men not to treat you roughly. Sometimes young men sadly do that. And no, she'd been brought into a place of safety where, where, where in this position, Boaz was going to be a protector and a carer for Ruth. They must not treat you uh, roughly. Whenever you're thirsty, help yourself to the water that they've drawn from the well. I love this protective attitude we see in Boaz, this hail, this nobility, this desire to provide and protect because that is the heart of our Heavenly Father. He desires to provide and protect, even though life takes turns sometimes and we find ourselves in foreign lands, in famine. Sometimes we find it's like our loved ones have passed away. There's been challenges, but God's heart is still to preserve, protect. Ruth says, what have I done to deserve such kindness? I'm only a foreigner. I'm a Moabite. You're even, not even supposed to like me. And he says, yeah, I, I know. But I've also heard about everything you've done for your mother-in-law since the death of your husband. 
I've heard how you left your father and mother and your own land to live here among complete strangers. May the Lord, the God of Israel, under whose wings you've come to take refuge, reward you for what you've done. I hope to continue to please you, sir, she replied. You've comforted me by speaking kindly to me, even though I am not one of your workers. At mealtime, Boaz called to her, come over here and help yourself to some food. You can dip your bread in sour wine. So she sat with the harvesters and Boaz gave her some roasted grain to eat. This is lunchtime. They're not eating pizza. They're eating roasted grain. I think pizza sounds better. She ate all she wanted and she still had some left over. And then after lunch, she goes back to work again and Boaz ordered his young men. In fact, don't just drop, leave the stuff that's dropped. He says, let her gather grain right among the sheaves, right among where you've all bundled it up without stopping her. Even if she goes to the grain that's all bundled, ready for, ready for harvest, just let her pull stuff straight out of it is what he's saying. He sees something about her nobility. In fact, pull out some grain and leave it deliberately for her. Make it easy for her, provide for her. Let her pick them up and don't give her a hard time. This is noble character. This is a person who's fulfilling the law of caring for the war, the, the poor, the foreigner, the widow and the orphan. Really, if you think about it, she's poor, she's a widow, she's a foreigner. And in that sense of being away from her mother, away from her provision, she's also an orphan. She, she fits all these. And we see this nobility in Boaz's character towards her. I love this story. Think about how the Lord has treated us. So Ruth gathered barley all day and when she beat out the grain that evening, it filled an entire basket. She carried it back to town and showed it to her mother-in-law. And Ruth also gave some of the leftover grain from her meal. Where did you gather grain? This today, Naomi asked her, where did you work? May the Lord bless the one who's helped you. So Ruth told her mother-in-law about the man whose field she'd worked in. She said, the man in whose field I work today is named Boaz. May the Lord bless him, Naomi told her daughter-in-law. He is showing kindness to us as well as to your dead husband. Look at the notice, the change in Naomi here. She's going from being bitter to starting to see God moving. Have you ever think back on your life, the times when it's been tough? And it was actually Ruth stepping out and doing something kind and representing the Father's love and saying, I'm going to leave my choices for freedom and happiness and a good husband and all that stuff. And I'm going to lay that down so I can be kind to you. Don't ever underestimate how you showing kindness to someone else can be an opening of a door to their heart if their heart is hard toward God, if they become bitter. And Naomi's and, and Ruth's kindness and Boaz's kindness starts to open the door to this woman who'd been embittered by life. And we see this drifting change happen. May the Lord bless him. He is showing kindness to us as well as to your dead husband. That man is one of our closest relatives, one of our family redeemers. Then Ruth said, what's more, Boaz even told me to come back and stay with his harvesters until the entire harvest is completed. Good, Naomi said. Do as he said, my daughter. Stay with the young women right there through the whole harvest. You could be harassed in other fields, but you'll be safe with him. So Ruth worked alongside the women in Boaz's fields and gathered with them, gathered grain with them until the end of the barley harvest. Then she continued working with them through the wheat harvest in early summer. And all the while she lived with her mother-in-law. Chapter three, one day, Naomi said to Ruth, my daughter, it's time that I found you a permanent home for you. So you'll be provided for. Boaz is a close relative of ours and he's been very kind by letting you, get, letting you gather grain with his young women. Tonight, he'll be winnowing barley at the threshing floor. Now do as I tell you, take a bath, put on perfume, and dress in your nicest clothes. Before we go on with the story, I want to give you some context. Depending on how you read chapter three, you can have a whole different number of responses to it. 
I was taught, taught to go, oh, it's a beautiful romance story. You've got this lovely, handsome Boaz and this beautiful Ruth. And that's probably true that, you know, there's this beautiful love between them. But I've also heard people say, this is a creepy story because Boaz is quite a bit older than Ruth. And, and that could seem creepy to you that, that you know, he, he is so much older and is he taking uh, control of her? Is he, is he using her? And, and sadly, that did happen and does happen, but that's not the context of this story. It's a strange story, but this is actually about Ruth coming underneath and seeking his protection and Boaz giving his protection and showing hail towards Ruth and showing kindness towards her and, and honouring God who shows kindness to the poor, the widow, the foreigner and the orphan. And so Naomi says, take a bath, go to the threshing floor, but don't let Boaz see you until he has been eating and drinking. Be sure to notice where he lies down and then go and uncover his feet and lie down there. He'll tell you what to do. I'm going to do everything you say, Ruth replied. So she went to the threshing floor that night and followed the instructions of her mother-in-law. After Boaz had finished eating and drinking, was in good spirits, he lay down at the far end of the pile of grain and went to sleep. Then Ruth came quietly, uncovered his feet and lay down. Around midnight, Boaz suddenly woke up and turned over and he was surprised to find a woman lying at his feet. Who are you? He asked. I am your servant, Ruth, she replied. Spread the corner of your covering over me, for you are my family redeemer. This was a, an ancient symbol of a request for, for protection, for provision, for marriage. Would you, would you protect me? Would you redeem me? Would you buy me back and my mother-in-law back? Would you provide for our family? It was her giving up all the opportunities she had for, for other men and younger men and all that. And she's going, and I'm going to lay down all my own personal desires so that I can do something kind for my mother-in-law, Naomi. It was a request for marriage and care and protection. And Boaz sees this and he says, the Lord bless you, my daughter. He exclaimed, you are showing even more family loyalty now than you did before. For you've not gone after a younger man, whether rich or poor. Now don't worry about a thing, my daughter. For I will do what is necessary for everyone knows you are a hail woman, a virtuous woman. The same word that's spoken about Boaz is also spoken about Naomi. And this is the same word, this Kail, that appears in Proverbs 31, where it says a woman of Kail character, a noble character. This is, this is an integrity, integrity word. And she was known for that, this nobility of character. But while it's true, Boaz says that I am one of your family redeemers, there is another man who is more closely related to you than I am. And stay here tonight and in the morning I will talk to him. Family redeemer was this concept within the law that said if a, if a man died without leaving children or without leaving an heir to carry on the family name and inherit the estate, then another relative, usually a, a, a younger brother if that was there, but a, a near relative, the nearest possible relative, next of kin, was asked to marry the widow and have children by them. And it seems messed up in our world. But in this world, with everything I've told you, it's starting to make sense, isn't it? What they're doing there. They're carrying on protection and provision and allowing the family name and allowing the inheritance to stay within that family. And so that was the protection, the redemption, the family redeemers. And Boaz says, I am a true family redeemer, but there's one who's nearer. And really, he has to be given first opportunity to do that. Verse 13, stay here tonight. And in the morning, I'm going to talk to him. If he's willing to redeem you very well, he can marry you. But if not, if he's not willing... Even though I don't need to, because it's really only up to the first one. He says, I will redeem you because Boaz has hail character. Lie down until morning. So Ruth lay at Boaz's feet until the morning. But she got up before it was light, before people could recognise each other. 
But Boaz had said, no one must know that a woman was here at the threshing floor. Then Boaz said to her, bring your cloak and spread it out. And he measured six groups of barley into the, co- into the cloak and placed it on her back. Then he returned to town. And when Ruth went back to her mother-in-law, Naomi asked, what happened, my daughter? Tell me about what happened last night. So Ruth told Naomi everything that Boaz had done for her. And she added, he even gave me six scoops of barley and said, don't go back to your mother-in-law empty-handed. I love this guy, Boaz. Then Naomi said to her, just be patient, my daughter, until we hear what happens. This man won't let it rest until he settles things today. Chapter 4. So Boaz went to the town gate and he took a seat there. And just then the family redeemer, the one he'd mentioned, the nearer one, came by. And so Boaz called out to him and said, come on over here and sit down, my friend. I want to talk to you. So they sat down together and Boaz called the 10 leaders from the town and asked them to sit as witnesses. And Boaz said to the family redeemer, you know Naomi who came back from Moab? Well, she's selling the plot of land that belonged to, her, to our relative Elimelech. I thought I should speak to you about it so that you can redeem it if you wish. If you want the land, then buy it in the presence of these witnesses. You see, because the family redeemer would then own that land. But once they had a child by the widow, that land would then be reverted back to the land of that of their son, which was essentially going to be the one who would inherit it. Does that make sense? So, but they're actually buying the land. If you don't want it, let me know right away because I'm next in line. And the man says, all right, you land, I'll take it. Thanks very much. Then Boaz replied, nah, you know that when you purchase the land, you've also got to re- purchase, you've got to marry Ruth, the Moabite. Because I think he wants a room for himself. I think he sees something special about this girl. And he goes, oh, no way. I'm not going to do it then. Uh, uh, that way she can carry on children. He goes, I can't redeem it. The family redeemer replied, because people won't like me if I marry a Moabite. That might put my own estate in danger. You, you redeem it. I can't do it. Now, in those days, it was the custom in Israel for anyone transferring a right of purchase to remove his sandal and take it to the other party. Wouldn't it be good if you could just swap by land by swapping shoes today? Uh in fact, they were, I think if they, if the, the law says it, that if, they, if the Redeemer wouldn't do it, you were supposed to take off their shoe and spit in their face. That was as if what you were supposed to do. So I don't know if any spitting took place here. But there was this transaction taking place of remo- removing the sandal and giving it to Bo- Boaz. You buy the land. I can't do it, he says. So Boaz said to the elders and to the crowd, your witnesses here today that I have bought from Naomi all the property of Elimelech, Kilion and Marlon. And with the land I've acquired Ruth, the Moabite widow of Marlon, to be my wife. This way, she can have a son to carry the family name of her dead husband and to inherit the family property here in his hometown. You are all witnesses. This is about his kale character. Then the elders and all the people standing in the gate said, yes, we're witnesses. And may the Lord make this woman who is coming into your home like Rachel, Rachel and Leah, from whom the nation of Israel descended. May you prosper in Ephrathah and be famous in Bethlehem. And may the Lord give you descendants by this young woman who would be like those of our ancestor Perez, the son of Tamar and Judah. Here's what I love about this story. This story is intensely put right here in the middle of a period when the days of judges ruled. God used ordinary people to begin his plan to put right the mess that the world was in. Because at the end of Book of Judges, it's complete despair. Immediately following these simple four little chapters, we start to read of 1 Samuel and God beginning to bring about 16 chapters later, the birth of this young man, David, who would ultimately be a man after God's own heart and shepherd the people and bring them into relationship with him. And so this story that seems like it means nothing actually is there to link this messed up time with this time of hope. 
Friends, God will do a Ruth-type story in your life. And this is what happens. It says in verse 13, Boaz took Ruth into his home and she became his wife. And when he slept with her, the Lord enabled her to become pregnant. She gave birth to a son. Then the women of the town said to Naomi, Praise the Lord who's provided you a redeemer for your family. May this child be famous in Israel. May he restore your youth and care for, your, for you in your old age. For this son of, of your daughter-in-law who loves you has been better to you than seven sons. Naomi took the baby and cuddled her in her breast and she cared for him as if he were her own. The neighbour women said, Now at least, at last, Naomi has a son again and they named him Obed. He became the father of Jesse and the grandfather of of David. This then is the genealogical record of Perez. Perez was the son of Judah, who was the son of Israel. Israel, Judah, Perez, Hezron, Ram, Aminadab, Nashon, Salmon, Boaz, Obed, Jesse, David. This story is intentionally put here to say God is still working even when it looks like he's not. And he is looking for people who will be a have kale character, people of noble character. Don't ever doubt, friends, that if you will show nobility, even when nobility has not been shown to you, even when someone has not treated you with kale, if by the grace of God, you draw on the kale nature of our Father in heaven, who is unconditional in His love, and choose to be kale to others, God can use you and weave you into His story. And who knows that you might not be like these ordinary people who were written into the genealogy of King David. Genealogy of Jesus, in fact. In fact, there's only four women mentioned in the genealogy of Jesus in the New Testament. There's four women only. Ruth is one of them. The other two that are mentioned here, Tamar and uh, what's the other one? The lady in the, that was in Jericho. What's her name? Rahab. Rahab, Tamar, Ruth and Mary. Those three women in the Old Testament, one was a prostitute from a foreign country. One was a prostitute who was born through an unhealthy, who had a child through an unhealthy relationship. The, the, Ruth was a noble character, but, but was a foreigner and seemed like an outcast. And then Mary, of course, who was also of noble character, but, you know, it didn't look like she was of noble character. Don't underestimate that God uses our messed up lives don't have to be perfect. You can aspire to have Kyle character, but when you fall, he's still gracious and he'll still use you. So I'm going to close, let you chat and have some pizza. I just want to pray um, as we do that, that uh, maybe that, that little story just brought some encouragement to you today. God bless you. We're going to close our live stream down there as well. And you feel free to hang around and have pizza and connect with each other. You can turn the tables, turn the chairs around as well in just a minute. Well, Lord, I thank you for this um, beautiful little story that reflects your heart, Father God. We thank you, Lord, that you never give up on us. Sometimes it seems like you do. Sometimes it seems like, uh, you know, we've had negative father experiences on this earth. Sometimes it feels like we have, who our fathers haven't done a good job of fathering. But we thank you, Lord, that you are a good, good father. That you are a father of loyal love and I pray that we could look to you and experience your loyal love and then use that uh, use that motivation and your empowering to show loyal love to show Kyle 
nobility of character to others. I pray for every parent in this place because this uh, nobility of character is something we need. This selfless, not living for ourselves, but living for our children is such an important part of being healthy in families and raising kids in healthy environments. Thank you for every parent in this place that demonstrates that selfless, loyal love, that kail character for their children. Bless them in that, Lord. Sustain them in that. It's not always easy. Sustain them in that. Give them all they need. And thank you, Lord, for those that are doing it hard and those that are questioning right now. Just like Naomi questioned, just like Naomi felt that maybe there was some, that the Lord had been hard on her. Thank you, Lord, that eventually through kindness and kail, she saw your hand at work. Lord, let us be those kind of people to one another as well. Amen. Thanks for listening to this week's message from our church. We pray that you feel empowered by what you've heard today. We hope that you can stay connected by following us online. You can find us at C3 Camden on Facebook, Instagram, and YouTube, or visit our website at www.c3camden.church.